Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast and we're mid-series at the moment so I'm sharing some of my conversations on other podcasts from the past few months. Now last week you heard me appear on the Evolving Leader podcast and as you'd expect spoke a little bit about leadership on that and uh, the previous week I was on Christopher Lockhead's podcast Follow Your Different. I shared many of the lessons from my book Work Life Flywheel And today, it's something which is very different from the usual subject matter, although, of course, the subject guides much of what I do. I'm talking about parenting, and specifically being a dad. I had Emmy Faust on my show earlier this year, who's an angel investor and the founder of Female Founders Rise. And after we spoke, she introduced me to Charlie, who's the co-founder and CEO at Babu, which is an online learning platform for not to five-year-olds. She recently produced a podcast all about being a dad. She interviewed various dads from different backgrounds with kids of different ages. And I was very pleased to speak to her and share what proves to be a pretty honest account about my life as a dad, how it shaped the work that I do and the decisions that I make. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Charlie on the Babu podcast. Welcome to the Babu Podcast, aptly named The Village, because we all know it takes a village to raise a child. This first series is hosted in partnership with the Fatherhood Institute. And yes, you've guessed it, it's all about dads. This is an honest and raw account of fatherhood from over 30 men around the world, each speaking openly about their journey and personal experiences. We're honoured to bring these stories to life and share them with the world. Fathers who have been through IVF, miscarriage, surrogacy and adoption. Old dads, young dads, single dads, gay dads, dads with autism, bipolar dads and just regular Joe dads. We hope you find solace in these stories and that they help remind you that you are not alone. Happy listening. everyone and welcome back to the Babu podcast. Today I'm joined by Ollie Henderson. Ollie, hi, how are you? Very well, thanks. So you're here to talk to me all about your journey as a dad. Um, let's start with the basics. How many children do you have? I have three. I've got a 10-year-old boy, a seven-year-old girl and another four-year-old boy. Oh, wow. So a nice mix and a nice spread of ages. Mm. Is there like particular age that you kind of love your kids the most? Were the kind of computers? <laughs> well, I, uh, every, I'm, I was I'm obviously like a lot of people always under the misconception that it gets easier as, it, as they get older, which to be fair, I mean, that first year is particularly difficult. First 18 months, something like that. But of course, you just get new challenges. So uh, I wouldn't say, I mean, my four-year-old's pretty cute at the moment, but he's also can be uh, quite challenging as well. So uh, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I mean, they also get more interesting in many ways as they get older, even though they're funnier when they're younger. So um, that's a very long way of saying not particularly. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. I think, I think they do get easier, but as you said, it's just different challenges. It's kind of like a like misery reward scale right where somewhere in the middle is a a balance but um yeah well it's great you got good spread so tell me did you always want to be a dad yeah I always wanted to be a dad 
I don't think I always necessarily thought I'd have three kids, but my wife had has three siblings, and so and is from a very large family. Whereas I come from a family of well, it's quite a small family. I've got one brother, but a lot of my family live in the northeast of England, and I live in the south, so I didn't really sort of grow up around them. So didn't sort of envisage having a big family. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if it were. <laughs> To reiterate what I said a minute ago, if the first year or so wasn't so difficult, I reckon maybe we'd have had more, but I think we're done. We're done at three. Yeah. And you'd say you kind of didn't grow up around your family. So, like, what did you have in your head in terms of, like, what kind of family you wanted to have? I mean, putting aside the number of kids, but, like, Mm. what does family life look like to you? I mean, we did. I mean, I didn't grow around my, up around my extended family, but we had a very close family. You know, the four of us were very close. Um, I think, you know, we. I was quite lucky. I had a very supportive set of parents. I'm close to my brother. We're still best mates. Um, my brother's wife is my wife's best friend, so it's all remained very close. You know, so the you know the the cousins played together. We go on holiday together. I suppose that's what I wanted, really. I, you know, I, I thought I wanted, wanted a continuation of that where. You know, we we would be close knit and um, be there to support each other without necessarily thinking it was going to be a big family. As I said, just you know, people. I, I, I mean, again, we'll see what happens. But I would I like the idea of my kids being friends with each other when they're older. That's you know, that's sort of you know, probably I suppose both high and low expectations. You know, feel like that would be a nice position to be in. But then, of course, when you see sibling rivalries develop start to wonder whether that's going to be possible yeah I mean that's all I think natural isn't it but yeah I mean I'm one of four and I do think for my own daughter like it would be so nice to have siblings I always question like why do parents have a second child Mm. (laughs) like you know is it that you have a and you know just a biological need to have more children you know it's built in or is it that you want companionship or yeah, there's. I think there's many reasons why people do it, right? Um, so you're not definitely done, or you're definitely done. No, we're definitely done. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife has other ideas. <laughs> well, my wife is my wife. Wife works around babies. She's a doula. She teaches hypnobirthing. She's a pregnancy yoga teacher. So she's constantly around birth, and therefore she has lots of opportunities to be broody. Um, however. <laughs> You know, she also supports women just after birth. Um, so again, that reality of having a tiny little baby and just being completely beholden to something which you just have to pay all your give all your attention to. And I think, you know, that that's just I think that's enough to remind yourself about the this it's a sacrifice, isn't it? To an extent you are sacrificing your social life to a certain extent parts of your relationship with your partner because you have to kind of give up on that and you're always going to become secondary and that is even more um it's just exacerbated in those early days so I think you know we would both we both love babies and young kids but I think we've just we've reached a point also with our careers where we're both you know we're both founding our own companies we're doing our own thing and those just those things you just or, you know, they're, they're more difficult when you've got really young kids. And, you know, our four-year-old will be starting school in September. And that suddenly opens up loads of possibilities because five days a week between 9 and 3.30, we have time. You know, we just have time. Whereas at the moment, it's still more sporadic and he's in nursery, so there's some routine. But it, there, it isn't, you know, you can start seeing light at the end of the tunnel in terms of just having a little bit more time and freedom and autonomy to do stuff. Uh, and, and focus on your career again you know we're both 
ambitious people and not that having kids stops you from being ambitious in any way in fact it can be the opposite but you know there's some of those sacrifices you make become um less pronounced i think when when they just get that little bit older you talk about sacrifices do you feel like you kind of have multiplied that each time you've had a child right so you sacrifice x percentage of yourself on the first child and then you double that the next one and triple it so basically there's none of you left <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know because actually sacrifice always almost has a negative connotation when it's maybe i mean look it is a sacrifice you're sacrificing what used to be but that doesn't mean that what is now and what is in the future is worse in fact it's obviously better i mean there's a, there's a reason that you do have keep keep having more kids and it's those kind of intangible things sometimes but also the very tangible things that it's you know your those moments where you know when you wake up in the morning and you, you get a cuddle from your kids or you know those times where you're a bit fed up and you know they, they haven't got a clue what's going on and they cheer you up all those they're a lot of the amazing things that happen every day that um offset the fact that you know you do have less choice to be able to just do what you want when you want to do it but i think you get over that as well don't you i mean like you know i think now back to my twenties, and I wouldn't want to be living that life now. So that, from that point of view, the sacrifice that it sent, filled like a bigger sacrifice just after it happened, and then as time goes on, um, uh, it doesn't seem it, do, it doesn't it, the negative side of it are taken away. But I don't know. I think um, I definitely I think with three kids, there's times where it's easier having three than it was two and one, and there are other times when it's of course more difficult. I mean, the practical thing is there are more kids than adults and that is quite difficult sometimes <laughs> but equally now with my little one my the elder two do a lot of you know informal babysitting you know they play with there's always one of them who wants to play with the little one which takes the burden away from us to a certain extent so it's, I think it's kind of got easier the third the third definitely I think was easier than the second I think the second one was that was tough. I think that was the tough one. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. Do you yeah. feel more more removed for that reason then? Because obviously I imagine with your first you are just more hands-on, you're kind of, you know, involved in all that play because there is no one else to entertain or play with them. And now you've got, you know, you've recruited the troops. Uh, I think, no, not necessarily. I think I probably spent more act time anxious and worrying about stuff when I had one child. And then with each each new one, I've, become, I've, I've been worrying less. And therefore, the time I spent with them is more, um, I'm trying to not use business talk, but it's, <laughs> I feel like I'm more efficient with uh, the time I spend with them. Well, it's more enjoyable, I guess. You're not worrying quite so much. Do you remember back to those days with your first, like what were your worries? Were they, I mean, because there was data out there that says, parents spend on average 37 hours a week worrying about their kids anything mm. from education mental health you know the logistics childcare. yeah what were your worries <laughs> well i mean right at the beginning was just keeping them alive um, <laughs> i worried about but the first time my eldest theo had hiccups i was looking up seeing if it was a problem uh, so and staying you know my sleep was a i mean i think back i, I in with the first one we absolutely slept together every single night um you know i was there every time my wife got up to breastfeed i'd wake up and be there to support her and then by the second you know i was in the same bed but you know maybe not waking <laughs> and third time round, you know we've you know there, there are times now where we just have to say look this is ridiculous one of us needs to get a decent night's sleep so um yeah i think there's I, I, I worried about a lot of those just basic things that most people worry about when they become a new parent because it doesn't matter how many times people tell you what it's going to be like. 
Yeah, you can't be prepared. You, you can't. You, it's, it's, it is a bit like starting a business, actually. It doesn't matter how many times people tell you how difficult it is or how many challenges there'll be or how it'll keep you up at night. It's only when you're actually living it that you realise you actually can really genuinely understand. Um, but that's why I think by the time you have a second and a third, some of those just basic concerns about whether they're going to stay alive go away, you know, about while they're breathing in the middle of the night. And then you probably start thinking about other types of worries. It's, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to be anxious, just be anxious about other things. What are you anxious about today? <laughs> well, I just... Other than this podcast. <laughs> I just walked out of the front and found a parking ticket on my car, which uh, Harringay Council didn't send me an email about. So uh, I wouldn't say that was anxiety, more irritation. But, um, well, my 10-year-olds, my we've got to apply for secondary school places in... September, October. So you know that's 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 the new one. That's the the big one. The leap. From so they'll be going to secondary school. school in September. So you've got to apply now. No, or no, no. Apply it's next year, the following year. year. So he'll go. Yeah, he'll go twenty twenty four. So you know that's a new one, isn't it? Because then he's yeah. just he's established in his school now. He's got a good group of friends, and then he's gonna. And I just put myself back to when I started secondary school and just how big it seems, and you know what a massive age range there is in school. You know he's going to be going to school with kids who are pretty much adults and that's just seems mm. crazy and you know that requires them to become independent in a different way and you know that sort of stuff is apart from the fact that you I, I can't believe I've got a child who's going to be going to secondary school so you know and that which is just you know from my own point of view it seems bizarre you know I just worry about you know, worry about him going out in the world but of course you know at the same time you know, I remember also experiencing a sense of freedom and enjoying that and, in fact, loving it, loving that sense of freedom. And I think to a certain extent he'll probably like that as well. Can I ask, like, are you – will he get a bus to school? Like, what – have you thought through that? Because I think about it all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's three options, actually, in terms of mode of transport. The Probably the most likely options are the two schools he'd actually be able to walk to. And I like I like the idea I like the idea of him walking past his friend's house and picking them up on the way to school, um, you know, seeing people he knows on the on the way to school. There are a couple of other options, which one would require going on a train, one would require going on a bus. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think from you know, again, my mind changes on this all the time. But right now, I'm, my mindset is I'd love for him to go to school in the local community with you know, and just kind of be you know, his school experience being in the, in the local area and that means walking and actually both of those schools are 10 minutes away. So, And you've got no issue with him walking on his own at age 10, 11? Yeah, I mean, it'll be 11, almost 12 by the time he, does, he goes. Right. So, yeah. It's just yeah. scary, isn't it? I just don't know, like, when, I mean, it's far away from my, not that far, but, you know, my daughter's six, but, um, you know, I see young kids, like, almost her age, often with an older sibling, but getting off the bus or... You know, walking to school in the morning without a parent, I'm like, God, I just, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, they do it's that. just the anxiety, as you say. In, in year six at his primary school, I guess in preparation to go to secondary school, in year six, they, um, they start, well, they allow them to walk to school on their own. I mean, okay. there, is, there is one relatively busy road with a zebra crossing, but apart from that, I mean, it's a probably a five minute walk, four of which are down very quiet side roads. Um, yeah. So, you know, practically speaking, I trust that he can get to school unharmed. Uh, <laughs> it's more like the outside word, not like can they cross the road or like, yeah. you, know, you know, will they just not go to school? But it's more just like, yeah, the kind of anxiety about the dangerous streets of London. What about mobile phones? Has he got one yet? No. No. Do you have a time limit on that? <laughs> well, again, I mean, it, you sort of, I mean, the, it, it, the consensus 
Uh, consensus. I mean, a lot of the kids here in the year above him, so year six, appear to now have phones because they're walking to school on their own. So this is kind of, mm. I mean, the parents is like, well, there's peace of mind if they have, if there's an emergency and they've got a phone. Um, I mean, he seems to think that means he can get a, you know, new iPhone, which I'm not sure that's necessary, <laughs> but we'll see. Somebody, one of our teacher friends said that they encourage the parents at that age to just get, you know, an old Nokia. So they can make yeah. a phone call. But they aren't, you know, in their rooms on TikTok or, you know, whatever until late. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I tend to think that they need to get used to using technology and having access mm. to it. But, um, yeah, it's, it just, they're so young. I mean, I'm, I'm more, but I'm, I'm more worried about social media than I am about him walking to school. So, uh, mm. we'll see. You know, we'll see yeah, again, it's a topic that we, we touch upon a couple of times. I mean, there's just some horror stories, aren't there, about kind of grooming and pedophiles and drugs and all these kind of mm. terrible things on, on social media, which is so hard to control. And also just stuff like isolation and children's, you know, young people's mental health as a result of too much time on technology or like, inappropriate presentation of what a perfect life looks like on Instagram or whatever. So yeah, big, a big fear. That's the, that is, that's the stuff I worry about. It's the kind of the normalization of, um, behavior and lifestyle, which is just not realistic and it presents the ideal world. And I think that's, but then I suppose, you know, I'm pretty. I'm partly me. Part of me is a bit pragmatic about education and social media, and, and in the sense that I do look. It's great if your kids can go to a really great school, but there's also a significant role for parents, I think, to be able to educate. You know, establish morals, establish boundaries, establish what you know is normal. And I'm not saying that that. I, like, ask me in five years' time whether I've done that effectively. <laughs> but, you know, I think. Uh, I think there's. I think it's. It would be a bit lazy to just put it all onto schools, for example, and say they should be teaching you know the kids how to do this stuff. You know, you've just got to take responsibility to do it yourself. And I think I think about some of the kids, for example, who didn't have a telly when when I was younger, and they were the kids who were obsessed with telly and spent loads of time gaming. You know, when they were able to when they left school, or the kids who were completely shielded from I don't know anything like alcohol or anything like that, and they were the ones who ended up in A&E because they'd had too much to drink, you know, and I think, you know, there's, there's just, it's always a bit of a delicate balance and, um, you know, I'm sure I'll make plenty of mistakes on it, but I'm a, I will try to be as open as possible in talking about these things. These questions that we've just been chatting through, these kind of bigger decisions around parenting and what you do and don't allow your child to do, where do you get your advice from? Who do you go to? I mean, obviously your wife's an expert in the kind of younger end of things, but but now who do you go to? Yeah, I don't know. No one. Sure. Sure. I mean, I talk, no. not your parents, not your brother. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I talk about it. We, we talk, I talk about these things with friends and family. You know, we do talk about, you know, we talk about parenting, you know, as in, I'm not sure, you know, I've read a few parenting books. Um, You know, I listen to podcast, I listen to a lot of podcasts generally. So if I hear someone who's got an interesting perspective on something related to parenting or, you know, mental health and, in general for kids i listen to that stuff um but i think the main thing is just talking about it a lot you know my wife my wife and i talk about these things a lot and i talk about it with friends a lot and we're all quite open about the 
challenges that we have with our kids you know we we know we are the opposite of glorifying our lives you know with kids we're very open about talking about it and i think that just makes it so much easier for two reasons one because you do then get a bit of advice because everybody's experiencing the same thing i mean like you know you're doing the series you must be talking to people and they say the same things you know everyone's experiencing the same anxieties the same concerns at different stages of your kid's life and your life you know that's the thing we're all still growing mm. up you know i'm sure you know i feel i as i said i feel it feels strange to have a 10 year old because i still feel very young just like my dad still says he can't believe when he looks in the mirror that you know he did he's he, the the, the the granddad that's looking in the mirror because he feels a lot younger and i and i think this is the kind of the conflict many of us have but we feel like we don't understand what's going on and we're just working out as we go along which is why i think to the second point which is it's far better to acknowledge it, that everything that things are difficult when they're difficult um because it puts it put things in perspective, it just makes it easier to deal with. Because then it doesn't paint this picture that everyone everything's got to be perfect, or my kids are going to be perfect. Because it's just not that's just not the reality. Do you think that's changed over the last nine, ten years in the way that kind of yeah, the kind of shiny veneer of parenting's kind of come up a bit, and people are more talking about the realities of it and how hard it is. Maybe. I think I've always been quite open about talking about it to the extent that sometimes I used to joke with other parents about kids being difficult and I would, would occasionally get um, kind of dirty looks because I would probably be a little bit too open about the challenges. And I think when you, in the early days, particularly when, especially <laughs> a bit like long in the tooth or a bit jaded because I've got three kids down. So when I make jokes with some of the kids, my youngest, you know, some of the parents of their kids who are first time parents, I think probably I seem a bit cynical, whereas actually it's the opposite. It's just that you build, you know, mm. the way we've kind of built up the resistance to some of the challenges. So I don't know whether it's any better or worse, you know, these things, um, probably a bit of both, you know, there's more, yeah. more, there are both more people, more opportunities to read about or hear people talking about being open but then there are also on the other side more opportunities to see the perfect life and you know the yeah people people still this stuff you know on instagram you still get a lot of perfect family pictures and reels and all that sort of stuff don't you i mean so you know i think there's a bit of both we're doing an event tomorrow actually on um like how to play with your kid and it's really interesting we were approached by an organization they're like our parents um, like don't know how to play with their kids because they see on things like Instagram, like the picture perfect playroom, like smiley, happy mums and babies and stuff. And they're like, we're doing it wrong. Like that's not what play yeah. looks like in our house. And so we're kind of breaking down the concept of play. Cause I think there is just obviously so much pressure on parents to, to be perfect. Mm. And, um, and to know everything and yeah. And, and kind of, you know, it's just things like, the instantaneous love you're meant to feel for your children. Did you did you feel that? Was it like, ta-da? <laughs> uh, well, no. But, I mean, particularly the first time around. I think, as I said before, it was more. There was there was far too many emotions going around just to have only love. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think there's um, you know confusion and uh, and uh, the fear part and you know all of those things. But yeah, I mean, I, I just I, I do you know what? Being really honest, I just can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Right. This is the other thing. And this is why I've, um, so what I've done over the past few years, I've started journaling. What I do at the end of every day, I write down my three highlights from my work day. But more importantly, in relevance to this conversation, I write down something 
which happened related to my personal life. And it's, to be honest, usually the kids or fam- family, which is just memory worthy in some way, a moment that you would like to capture forever. And it sounds when you have like, when you've got really young kids, there's a certain mundanity which comes to every day and you start thinking, oh, it's another day, not very much has happened. But actually what I find is two things. One, you, you start looking for these moments. Of course, they do happen, particularly when kids are really young, where they have these little breakthroughs and these little experiences or moments that ha- happen. And you, you know, write that down. But the other amazing thing that it's done is, is it has literally improved my memory because I, and it just sounds terrible, but so many of those moments when from when they were really little particularly going back 10 years i just can't remember the details of so if you ask me that question about how did i how did i feel did i feel that connection immediately the honest answer is i think so but i can't really remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i really like that i mean i know that journaling is meant to be really good for for mental health especially if you're having negative thoughts around Mm. you know yourself or feeling hopeless or whatever if you kind of see it in black and white then you're able to more accurately kind of critique those thoughts if you like but I really like the idea of so you write down one thing every day that's happened or one thing every day that's kind of is special about your kid kids i mean it's it's usually something that's happened and how it might be how it's made me feel but it's often what it tells me about them or tells me about myself you know so and it, and, it, and it isn't whereas the work stuff I tend to focus on the positives <laughs> most days because that the, the the point of that for me is to try to frame the things that I'm doing and develop you know feel a sense of progress in what I'm doing whereas I don't put that pressure on myself when it comes to my family life I'm just it's more of a reflective exercise to say and, 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 and often it can be maybe something negative has happened or maybe how I've responded to a situation. That's often, you know, I, it's an opportunity to say I didn't respond to that as well as I would have liked and that's mm. how it ended up. And this is an opportunity to just to remind remember it. So the next time I may be, you know, trying to respond better. And I do, and that's actually really helped me because, A, as I said, A, it's helped me just remember stuff more. And the way I sort of visualize it or try and articulate the, the value of it in both senses, work and life, is it's like that um, it's like that photo montage app on your phone. You know, when you just you flick mm-hmm. through it and you spot, you see things that have happened and you've actually kind of forgotten about it, but then it takes you straight back to that moment. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what I'm doing with this sort of micro journaling exercise. You know, whether it's work or my personal life, it kind of takes me straight back into that situation. And it is amazing, actually, because when you – you only remind yourself and you flick through and if it could be a physical thing or now I do it you know created something to do on my phone um you know it just takes you back and it takes you back into that moment it's really it's really special to to do that but you also then start to see patterns and generally you start to see that you've developed in some way and the kids are developing and you know and I think it's I think it's just you can give yourself a pat on the back basically to say actually a I'm paying attention which is which is something in itself um and also you feeling like you know this things are improving some sometimes even when they're challenging or actually i'm responding better in the challenging situations that i might have done in the past so yeah they're they're kind of useful little tools that i use to to try and keep on top of it i love it i might actually just steal it i might build a journal (laughs) into baboo so that you could just have like a daily, just a note, a post-it yeah. note of kind of something that's happened because 
Yeah, I, I love that photo thing. There's so many memories that get surfaced yeah. from my iPhone. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot that. Or like that was just before she did that or whatever else. You've talked a bit about your work now, so it makes sense to get into that. So obviously, well, let's talk about what you do. <laughs> yeah, that's still quite a difficult question for me to answer nowadays. It used to be really easy. So for te- I mean, for 10 years, I, I ran a digital advertising agency, which I'd founded. Um, so that was, that was the easy way to answer. What do you do? I work, I work in advertising. Now I kind of do a bit of this and a bit of that. So I, when I left that company in 2020, I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. And I started writing, you know, that was the, that was, that was the first part of writing I did, like just literally exploring the relationship between work and my personal life, because I'd had, you know, I had a really good 10 years building that company up, but probably like a lot of founders, I'd burnt out several times. And I didn't actually really know what burnout was then. I mean, I probably had heard the expression and I think I just thought burnout means you just get exhausted. And actually, you know, now if you look at the actual definition of burnout, it also encompasses feelings of cynicism about your work and a feeling, a sense that you're not performing at your best. And that was me, basically. Towards the end of the time in in my last company, that's exactly how I felt. I'd come back after a third paternity leave didn't really want to come back I really I dragged it out for six weeks the paternity leave eventually came back just felt knackered but put that down to having three kids and my youngest not sleeping but I definitely now can see that I had a sort of cynicism about work and just didn't feel like I was fulfilling my potential because I just reached an end point so yeah long story short I started writing about that that was February 2020 exploring that work-life relationship then COVID happened and suddenly everybody was forced into exploring that so I started a newsletter about it called Future Work Life turned that into a podcast I'm about 140 episodes into the podcast something like that over two and a half years I've recently written a book called Work Life Flywheel which is based on my experience but also kind of laying out how I see the future of work and careers and how we can build a better relationship between work and life I'm not a big fan of the phrase work-life balance, for example, I prefer thinking about how the two can work together rather than in opposition. So do a lot of speaking and writing about future work and careers. And um, I've also recently founded a, my next business. So um, I suppose I'm a founder, writer, speaker, do a bit of advising. So as I said, a bit of this, bit of that. So what, I mean, it's obviously a hot topic and especially for working parents you say following the pandemic and the, the trial of a four-day work week what like what how do you think we should refer to it then if it's not work-life balance and like what do you think is the future yeah <laughs> well I, I mean maybe I'll explain briefly why I think work-life balance isn't the right phrase and and I know some people say it's just semantics, it's just words, and you get too hung up on words. But I think words do really matter because they frame people's interpretation and experience sometimes. And for me, well, I've been, I was constantly chasing work-life balance. And for, and for me, what that resulted in is that I never felt I spent enough time at work, but I also never felt I spent enough time at home. Um, and, I, and I was under the impression that other people had found this perfect equilibrium between their work and their personal life. And then I realised through speaking to a lot of people and surveying a lot of people that nobody really finds it. And, and I think when it, where it can lead in its work, you know, in its worst case is putting unnecessary pressure onto people to, to try to create this perfect 
work-life thing and you know you see the number of women leaving the workplace during covid or that you know because they take on primary care you know childcare duties particularly um and some of that was reported because they couldn't find work-life balance so they felt they needed to leave work and i think often the work-life balance thing casts in a negative light work and it doesn't have to i think it's just reframing the the relationship between the two so i talk about a work-life flywheel now flywheel you know if you work in Technology, um, the technology industry, Flywheel is effectively creating a complementary relationship between different parts of the business. That's the idea. And for me, that's how work and life should be. You know, if, if when I'm best at work, I'm usually happier at home. And when I'm happier at home, I'm usually doing better work. And I think I don't, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't have to, to difficult times at work or at home. It just reframes the connection between the two. So I'm constantly trying to build my life in a way which allows me to to work flexibly and my work reflects that. Now I'm lucky that I can do that because I work for myself. But I think the future is an understanding that to get the best out of people, it is allowing people the opportunity to personalize the way that they work. And the more enlightened companies and the companies that are doing it best tend to have better leaders who understand this, this type of approach and allow more flexibility and therefore attract the best people, keep those people, get the best out of them. So yeah, the, the future. I mean, it's it's a very broad question, but for me, the what you know what we should be leaving behind, and we have in some cases, is the same rigid schedule for every single individual with no flexibility. And we're already slightly moving beyond that, but there's so much more that can be done. And it will be, you know, we're not going to crack it over two years. It's going to take time, but we should be striving for that while, rather than companies fighting against it. I think you're right. The two things are in tandem and, you know, you're, I think there's like, I don't know, my mother has this, like, there's, th- there's three parts of you. There's like, you know, home or, you know, love, uh, work and then health as well, mm. right? And those three things like ideally should all be kind of, they are all related, right? Because if you're stressed at work, that impacts your yeah. health, it impacts your, your home life. So, um, and I think it's also not understanding that like, which has come out of the pandemic, like, yeah, people have lives outside of the office and um, and those lives can be really hard, you know, yeah. whether it's, you know, personal thing, you know, personal loss, you know, fertility challenges, like divorce, whatever it may be like. And you can't pretend that they aren't happening and just be like, show up and mm. do your nine to five. So I think we're moving in the right direction. But as you say, it's like it's probably a generational shift as well. Right. We've got to be like showing the younger you know aspiring leaders uh, the, the the new way forward and then hope that they then implement that you know because i think some of the you know 90 percent of whatever boards and c-suite are all kind of older yeah white men <laughs> yeah yeah and younger people generally have different priorities you know there's and, yeah. and well or at least they talk about their priorities differently so i just had a mm. I was recording a podcast earlier, actually, for my podcast, um, and we were chatting to somebody, and we were discussing, you know, a lot of the data that's coming out about Gen Z and about how they make decisions about what jobs they choose. And they explicitly say, and I say they, but, the, you know, the majority talk about the importance of aligning their purpose with the company they work for. Mm-hmm. And, like, what well, you know, while you are more idealistic when you're younger, I think, that's probably a, a generalism, which is true, that is that day was that wasn't the day that was coming out twenty years ago. You know, people have always uh, prioritized money, career progression, essentially. And now, flexibility, aligning purpose with that of the organization is far higher. And you know, purpose is a bit of a loaded word because people sort of associate it with 
I don't know, some of this sort of meaningless, um, you know, corporate, you know, search for purpose. But actually what people are talking about is they just want to find meaning in the stuff they do every day, you know, and, and I think, you know, that doesn't have to be changing the world. It has to be making an impact on the people that you work with and the people you work alongside yeah. and making a difference to your family, you know, in talking about your kids, you know, what do you, how do I think about my kids now? I want to create, I want to create a childhood for them, which means that I'm around a lot and I've got time for them and I want to create opportunities for them. And it doesn't mean giving them everything on a plate necessarily, but it does mean allowing them the opportunity to experience stuff and be able to make choices based on what they find meaning in. And, you know, that, I think that's what we're talking about when the younger people, you know, pro how they choose the type of work they do. And I think, again, that's got to be a good thing. I mean, that, none of that sounds bad, does it? That sounds, you know, it sounds no, pretty good. What you just said there, is that more like the legacy you want to leave your kids? Like, do you have one? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely want them to have options. I want them to be able to make, I want them to choose. And again, I think, for example, education might look really different by the time my kids leave school. You know, the assumption was for, for a lot of people over the last 20, 30 years that you if you want to work in certain professions, you went to university. I'm not completely convinced that's the right route for a lot of kids now. For, I think, you know, so again, I don't, there's no prescriptive path I have in mind for them about educational work, but I do want them to have options. Um, and I just, you know, like, you know, with this is the thing with education as well. This is a big topic, so I won't go into it, but, but I like the idea of them finding things that they really enjoy doing and are passionate about. And that's how they're, education is led and that's how they work they were led they're led by that rather than this sort of really one size fits all approach that is pre, you know there's still the case in education and to an extent you know it's it certainly in sec, primary and secondary education and to a certain extent in, in you know, higher education as well and I you know I would love that they do things they're passionate about rather than just feeling like they need to do something because that's what everyone else says they need to do mm. Yeah, there's definitely a shift from like obviously early years, which is all child led and exploratory mm. and fun and play to like adult led. And I think you can definitely find schools with great teachers who know the children in their classroom and will follow their lead and teach them whatever they need to teach them, but in a way that's interesting. But I think this is why we've seen such an increase in homeschooling now following the pandemic, because you know, you can do whatever you want. And I know several mothers who homeschool their kids, a lot of them because their children are neurodiverse and just don't fit in a standard school system. But, you know, they wake up and they're like, what should we learn today? And they're like, mm. go, go pick berries and learn about that, you know. So I think, yeah, it's definitely, I, I'm sure education will change, especially the university bit, right? Because it's one of the like least digitalized sectors of our economy it's kind of ripe for disruption so mm. fingers crossed um so. and your, yours are still little so before we wrap up i've got my one last question which i've asked everyone um and it is what is one piece of advice you wish you'd been given before you became a dad i think i'll return to that point i was making before to write stuff down because it's yeah, yeah i think you always assume that you're going to remember all of the important moments and I don't think that you do but you will remember them when you reflect upon them if you have a note a note of them that's that's the key thing I think you now I spend a lot more time reflecting on things nowadays as I've got older and I just I wish I'd realized how important that was earlier 
Um, so I think just giving yourself, um, you know, creating a simple routine, a simple system to just be able to reflect on what's happening and writing the stuff down will, you know, really make a difference to you. So um, how often do you go back and read and reflect on, you know, your last few years? Well, I mean, very often, actually. I mean, I, I have a routine. I mean, I do, I do, I reflect on the week at the end of the week. I reflect on the month at the end of the month and so okay. on. But I also just go back and flick through. Um, and that's actually, you know, one of the, the thing I'm building right now is a tool which helps you do this. And I think mm. it's what I would have, it's what I would have wanted to have in my pocket all of that you know all of those moments it's like that as i said it's like the extension of that photo montage app but because you can't capture everything in a photo or a video mm-hmm. that's the thing that, they're amazing that tool is incredible but a lot of the way you feel and are thinking about things you only capture that if you stop reflect on it and write it down mm-hmm. so and i think it makes a huge difference and you're never going to regret that you're never going to regret it no. No, especially when you're, you know, really old. Yeah. Well, you know, I, re- I listened <laughs> to something you're yesterday. You're not talking to you anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to something yesterday. I'm trying to think what it was. But, you know, people used to keep diaries far more than we do now in life. This is the thing. The pace of life is far quicker and there's far more distractions. There's a, but there's a reason people kept, right, you know, diaries. And it's because, you know, it's useful to remember it and to see who you – and even from a sense of just seeing how you've – progressed as a person you know how different you are yeah. and yet how this you know how much we are the same in some cases but also how things change and I think all of that are really interesting insights for life I love it I'm just gonna steal it so <laughs> thanks thank you for your time Molly and um, have a great afternoon thank you this podcast was brought to you by Babu think of Babu as your wing parent We're here for you whenever you need us, wherever you are, helping you get through tough times and find joy in every day. Our easy-to-use app is jam-packed with helpful hints, lessons, tricks and advice to help empower you and your child to reach your full potential, whatever the context of your lives. And what's more, for every new member, we'll donate one to a family in need. So not only are you getting amazing access to learning, you're giving it too. For more information, visit www.babu.com. Ciao for now.